Howdy. Thanks for listening to Let the Movie Speak. Before we get started, uh, we'd like to ask a favor of you. It's a simple favor. If you could just rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen, that might help other ears get into our ecosystem here and hear another episode. Anyway, enjoy the show. Seems to me I've got to stay. Anyway, I'm the same man with or without this. Well, that isn't so. I expect he'll come looking for me. Three of his old bunch are waiting at the depot. That's exactly why we ought to go. They'll just come after us. Four of them. We'd be all alone on the prairie. Hello, everyone across the podcast world, or should I say, howdy, partners, howdy, um, or perhaps do not forsake me, my <laughs> partners. Um, I'm here. I'm Justin, and with my friend and co-host Travis here. Um, before we get into talking about today's movie, High Noon. Uh, we're just gonna also talk about a uh, few things, a uh, few other things under the sun, and of course we have to get our pleasantries um, out of the way, mm-hmm. uh, and I do mean that begrudgingly. So, yeah. to Travis, how, yeah. how are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. How are you? I'm yeah. doing real mm-hmm. good over here. <laughs> how yeah, are just you doing? Read, read it like we practice, Travis. <laughs> how are you? It's not there. You go. Oh, there you go. So it's happy the innocent to be here. inflection. You were yeah. under the weather this week, and yet you showed up for the podcast. You're such a you're such a troop. You're like the Gary Cooper of our times. <laughs> well, you know what they say about a cowboy. What do they say? He uh, he ain't sick <laughs> because he's dying. I don't know what any That's of that. That's true. Meant. The mortality but, uh, rate was abysmal back then. So yeah, the average lifespan of a grandfather is twenty six years <laughs> young. Um. Yeah, mm. so today we're going to uh, talk about High Noon, Travis, yes. and I think this is going to be, we've hit a pretty good stride so far. We've talked about how we've been fortunate so far in the 50s to just have movies that we have pretty much seen eye to eye on and yeah. thought we've been really blessed by the the quality of movie overall, and uh, although I guess Sabrina maybe wasn't wasn't quite the home run, maybe yeah. the other yeah. the other ones have been, but but still a good movie. Yeah. And uh, so this may this may kind of um, even though I I will just spoil it right away. I do enjoy this movie, mm-hmm. but uh, I think your reaction might be a little more a little more tepid. Yes, a little a little uh, color me puzzled, Justin. Uh-huh. Is that a thing you say? Color me. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, it is. Color yeah. your puzzles. Color my puzzles, man. Like, I don't even know where the pieces go for this one. I'm missing a piece, and I'm jamming right. another piece into right. another one. It's just not. It's The pieces uh-huh. don't go together. Uh, That's because you're playing Jenga. It's uh, not a puzzle. You're right. It's going to crash. Uh, before it crashes, we should probably just talk about what we watched this week, don't you think? Okay, let's probably do that. <laughs> Travis, usually yes. you just throw it right to me. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that and I'm gonna take the initiative like a true cowboy. Ooh. Always okay. takes that first scoop of baked beans. 
sucks it down oh, with please. the lemon peel. That's please stop. I'm not sure what's happening in the chuck wagon, but we're gonna need to clean up on aisle seven. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. So before we get to your movie, yeah. I'm going first. <laughs> oh, okay. That's not, oh, twist. Plot twist. I did not yeah, see that coming. Check it out. Holy All right. Cow. Not seeing this crap coming. Okay. Okay. Go for it. So. In keeping with the the theme, actually, uh, of high noon and westerns in general, I watched the 2011 animated film Rango. Yeah, uh, with my family. Nice. Uh, first time. Yes. And uh, what a, what a great movie, especially for someone like me who mm-hmm. uh, grew up on way too many westerns. Yes. Um, and uh, no, I'm not a baby boomer, but somehow that just it got like passed down hereditarily. I have a affinity for the genre, and Rango is such a great send up, yeah, of the genre. Um, there is a reference not just to westerns. There's also references to all kinds of other movies and things. <laughs> yeah, but it's a great Shakespeare it, it, and existentialism, <laughs> and it's yes, really it's yeah. wild. Yeah, it is its own thing for sure. Yeah, um, and it's really. Even though my kids enjoyed it, I can't like so much of that humor is rapid fire. It's really verbose. Yeah. Um, it's it it's a lot more lowbrow than something like Frasier, but it reminded me a bit of Frasier and just like turn the subtitles on because you're gonna yeah. miss something. It is coming fast. It's you snappy. Know? You were talking yeah. about uh, our stupid bit about puzzles a second ago. Yeah. And there's like a uh, a toad in there that has this line where he says. It's a puzzle, like a mammogram. And I'm thinking, <laughs> who? That is not for a kid, you know. Oh, that's so good. Um, why so are their Why are their voices so good? Like, can you explain to me? Yeah, Johnny Depp is incredible, and so uh, T- Timothy Oliphant as the Spirit of the West. Is I mean, ridiculous. there's a there's yeah. a twist I did not see coming. Yep. Um, that's two checks on your bingo card, Timothy Oliphant. And he's doing Clint <laughs> right. Eastwood as the man with no name. It's like, it, and it, he's on a yeah. golf cart for some reason. Like it is it, so fun with his metal detector. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, and I think it in it surprisingly actually had something to say. And there's a little bit of a message in there about you are more you are more what you do um, than you know w- what you say. I mean, I guess sure. people would know that from the silly you know you're gonna walk the walk or talk the talk. But it is kind of a it, it's delivered in more of a uh, encouraging or triumphal yeah. uh, tone where you know you can be your own per- it like start whenever um, and and start making the changes you'd like to see in your life. Yep. So I was I was really surprised. I really enjoyed that movie. I think you had recommended it to me many years ago. Yeah. So I finally got around to watching it. I do listen to you, Travis. Oh. Um, but uh, nice. two 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 thumbs up and a chameleon tail. Nice uh, for me. Uh, what about you? What'd you watch? Before I say what I watch, I just want to say that Bill Nye does the voice of yeah. the villain in that movie, and he is extremely British in real life, and he sounds right incredible in the movie. Like he he's the like big bad yeah. snake guy, and I just remember watching yes. it with my kids. And there's a cup. Honestly, it's what if you care about this kind of thing, and you're like very careful about what you put in your kids ears you know or whatever it has it has a couple like you know mild swears or whatever Mm -hmm. you know just like star wars for sure it's star wars level of language so take that with a grain of salt Uh, but i do remember a specific line of dialogue where i was like watching it and being like smiling from ear to ear and also looking over my kids like are they okay (laughs) because he's like i'm gonna send you straight to hell and i'm like whoa and it's uh yeah 
pretty, pretty. I think that's right after he good. says, "Damn you, woman." Yes. And it's, yes. It's. I. I think that's very. If if we can, I'm not saying that this is not related to whether or not children should be exposed to that. That's a choice for parents, of course. Sure, sure. But it that felt so intentionally written. I mean, yes. that that whole interaction really crescendos, and that is the emotional climax of the movie. Yeah. You know when and and it has this delicious spaghetti western score where Rango yeah. comes walking down the street right before that. Um, it, it, it's so it's so good. So so in other words, it's not like throwaway like, ooh, they're just trying to make this an edgy kids movie or something. You know, they, they earned that. Okay. I rewatched um uh you'll probably have zero zero skin in the game for what I'm about to say, Justin. So I will try to be brief and not bore you or the listeners. Uh I rewatched because I am a Stephen King fan and nerd. Uh read a lot of his stuff and I try to see most of the adaptations because he's an interesting case of like how do you adapt this guy's work? He writes a lot of introspective, like parenthetical stuff. And so it's hard to put on screen sometimes. I rewatched both of the new It movies. So the creepy clown, you know, if that might be all you know about It. If, you, if you're if you of our generation, you think of Tim Curry, you know, in the miniseries. Creepy clown. Yeah. Anyway, I rewatched those because I, I remember like liking them fine when they came out, but I had some quibbles like like, you know, plenty of people did and do about things. The thing that I was struck by watching both of them back to back is that it's a lot different for somebody who's adapting and directing and kind of caring for a project like that to take it on as a real fan. You know what I mean? Like we have people like J.J. Abrams who like they take Star Wars and they they're real fans. Clearly they're real fans. But like that can kind of go a few steps into the, the wrong direction of like now the movie exists to be fan service to Star Wars fans, you know, and so there's Easter eggs that, that that are way, way too obnoxious and out front. And there's stories that love the character, the iconography of the character, but they don't really care for the character and what they do with the stories or, you know, whatever. Um, and this guy, Andy Muschietti, who did these movies, he has an interesting like career, but like his, his sister is his producer. So it's kind of like a interesting partnership there. He just, if you care about these things or if this is in your wheelhouse, if you like kind of spooky things or Stephen King things or whatever, he knows exactly what the most important things are about this story, which is that, yeah, there's a creepy clown and there's sequences that are, you know, horrifying for various reasons. But the most important piece of the novel, which is like 1200 pages long, it's massive, is that it's a coming of age story. It's like everything you like about Stranger Things when it's kind of poignant and it's about kids growing up. Everything you like about, you know, um, Stand By Me and whatever, pick your coming of age story. It is that, that that's the most important thing about it, not the boo, let's do the jump scares and whatever. And there's jump scares and there's, you know, spooky imagery. But I, I just, I, I think they both, chapter one and two, they both age really well for someone like me because he gets at the heart of what Stephen King is like best at which is yeah he's good at scaring us but he's also really good about writing humanity you know just like making people that feel real and that experience the same things we do and go through the same things we do and in this case people growing up and people coming back home after a long time and feeling that 
sense of, you know, I don't have a place here anymore, you know? And so like, those are the things that are most important about the story. And he gets those just bang on right, in my opinion. So it's like the weirdest review for these movies you might ever hear because most people watch these and they're like, I want to be scared. And I'm like, sure, you could be scared, but that's not what's most important about the story. Like it's, it's, it's really about how we grow up and how we grow into adulthood and what do we do with our agency when we become adults. And, and I think they're really fun and good. And I think the guy who made them loves the most important things about the story. So if you care about these things, check them out. They're, uh, they're around and you know, you've probably seen them if you care because the, the first one made more money than like any horror movie ever has. So Justin, when do you suppose uh, in this life you might get around to watching uh, it and it chapter two? Mm, not in this life. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not really, you know, I do. I, I like horror, but I think maybe not, not really of that variety so much. Yeah. Just an odd duck, I guess, Travis. No, it's totally fine. And you know what? We complete each other. I think we've said that. Have we said that every episode so far? I think we have. Right. Yeah. We need just that clip from Jerry Maguire we, on repeat. Yeah. You. I, I know I don't say it enough, but you complete me. Right. Um, we, we need to edit it to say, we complete me. We complete me. <laughs> yes. Oh, grammar That's experts. That's how they did it back on the prairie. Oh, speaking of that, uh, where I love horror, you kind of love Westerns, I think, with the same fervor. Yeah. So, um, and I yeah. like Westerns, too, just fine. But we should get into our discussion today. We're talking about one of the most iconic Westerns around one of the most influential in a lot of ways. It's like historically significant for a few reasons and it's called high noon. So in the intro, Justin, we, we try mm. to, I, sometimes we talk about this in the pre pre intro, but, but I don't think we specifically asked this question yet. What is your relationship with this movie, man? Because I know it's different from mine. I have seen this movie before. I don't know how many times, um, but it had been several years since I had seen it. I take it. You have perhaps not seen this before. Well, now I have, but yeah, this is oh, a, that's good. We'll have a little more to talk about. <laughs> First time watch, and I think I can't. I'm, we, because of the, uh, you know, if you listen to the opening episodes of this series, you will you will be aware that we we suffered a, a horrible horrible uh, robbery. Mm. And um, when we were putting this list together, roughly a decade ago, um, we. <laughs> We're like, oh man, westerns started like happening in this decade. You know, they they really like exploded in the '60s and late '50s, I guess. But like, th we should put in a western. And so I threw a couple names out there, and you have seen like all the names I kept throwing out there. You're like, no, 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 not that one. <laughs> I was like, okay, I trust you. And I was like, well, how about this one? And you were like, eh, not worth our time. And I was like, okay. And I threw out High Noon, and you were like, this is. I, I remember distinctly, you were like sure we could do high noon you know <laughs> and it was like that one that one uh it didn't i wouldn't say like it struck a chord to be selected but it was like yeah yeah that's significant enough you know that's 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 uh, maybe an important enough movie or one that isn't a waste of time and hey man speaking of waste of time it's an hour and 25 minutes long and i think credits might be 
included in that? It's, I think they are. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, a bygone era where the movie was under 90 minutes and told a whole stinking story. Right. And, and won a ton of Oscars. Yeah. And yeah. Can you imagine a movie that's 90 minutes winning Oscars these days, let alone under no. 90 minutes? Yeah. No. Well, what is 90 minutes anymore? I mean, yeah, is no. there hardly even low budget comedies that are that short? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't feel like studio comedies even exist much. You know what I mean? Like, people aren't putting studio comedies in theaters anymore. Those end up on streaming, like, two-thirds of the time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But, like, what your 90-minute movie used to be, basically one of two things. It would be a comedy or a horror flick. And, like, the 90-minute mark was, like, that's all you got, and your audience is going to check out. You know, you cannot justify two hours with a genre movie in either of those camps. So... And I think Westerns kind of lived there for a while. Like you can look at a list of 50s Westerns and like you'd be hard pressed to find something over two hours just because these were, um, you know, in a lot of ways born out of kind of similar genre, like fair as a horror movie or a little like slapsticky comedy paperback book. Right. And so I don't think of paperback book genres being like gone with the wind level investments for an an audience. Um, so I do think the brevity of it is is kind of cool. Um, and yeah, like you said, it is a well-renowned film. It is a Oscar-nominated, Oscar-winning film. Uh, this, again, was back when the, you know, the cinematography Oscar was split because there was enough color and enough black and white coming out where they, they didn't quite know what to do with that. So they started giving black yeah. and white. And um, anyway, so one best actor for the man himself, Gary Cooper, um, and John Wayne accepted the award on his behalf, which is interesting. And we can talk about why later. Yeah. Um, yeah. Editing, which is weird. And we can talk about that later too. And then mm-hmm. uh, best original song for, you guessed it, High Noon, parentheses, Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling, um, by Justin. Who's the guy who sings this song again? Remind me. The Tex Ritter, John Ritter's dad. Okay, yeah, of course. Yeah, he was a big country western. He's one of the one of them pioneers of country music back in the day. If if it was today, it'd be Bruno Mars singing "Do Not Forsake Me." Oh my, wait. Is oh he... yeah, let's hear. It. What would a what would a bar from that sound like? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I just realized Bruno Mars is like a decade old reference at this point. Yeah, we are we are quickly headed for the grave. Is what you're telling yes. me? Like today's Neil Young. You know what I'm saying? Uh... <laughs> Uh, okay. Have you heard his? Did you know he did an album? This is probably years ago too, but it was he literally one of the lyrics to one of the main tracks on that album was like Monsanto. Oh yeah, yeah, down yeah. With Mons- it was like what? I man, don't know. There's man. no subtext at all here, Neil. What's I love Neil Young. <laughs> I do too. He just freaking rules. Um, anyway, we're not talking about Neil Young today. Uh, well, he's in this movie. That's why he brought. He's got a little cameo. Him you know what? He could be one of the kids running around town, probably at this age, yeah. right? Well, he'd be like two years old, probably. I he's the one that's like, "Excuse me, Mister, I've been searching for a heart of gold, <laughs> and I'm growing old." And he's like, "Get out of my way, kid! Unless you want a badge." No, I think I'm a little too young. Well, then scram. Here, and take then, this gun, kid. We're gonna fight the bad yeah. guys. <laughs> Okay, anyway, nominated for all the big ones, screenplay, director, picture, and then um, won those three that I mentioned. I thought it won cinematography. I guess I'm wrong. Um, Anyway. Was it just nominated? Not even nominated for cinematography. I must have misread somewhere. Um, Uh, Maybe that was at the... um, 
<laughs> this is great, great podcasting when we just try to figure out what we're talking about. Yeah. But maybe it, it was nominated and won some Golden Globes too. So I wonder if that. That's was what I'm thinking it. of. It did win gold the Golden Globe for Black and White Cinematography. Okay. Um, so anyway, nailed it. Yeah, give is, give uh, us our props, everybody. We are clearly film historians, and this is all clearly. being enshrined in the history books. Um, so this is a very simple story. It is not a long runtime, and it is uh, it is saying some stuff that we'll get into in the the next section here. And I will just say to preface my thoughts on the movie. I like Westerns. I, I say I like Westerns, but I don't have nearly as much of an affinity for them as you or have the, I haven't seen right. nearly as many of them. So maybe if I watched as many as you, I'd like them, you know, more or whatever, if I had a bigger sample size. But like there are some Westerns that are in my memory bank that I think of as like some of the best movies I've ever seen, you know, stuff like right. um, uh, Unforgiven, which I think is like kind of mm -hmm. a perfect movie. Um, you recommended Slow West to me, I think a mm -hmm. year or two ago. That movie is awesome. I remember liking even the popcorn-y kind of ones. Like I remember liking 310 mm -hmm. to Yuma and, you know, yeah. Open Range and like the ones that aren't nearly as, you know, maybe thematically ambitious, but like I, you know, it's a genre that I'm not averse to. Um, however, I did find myself like... I'm a pretty pretty good movie watcher. Like I try to pay real close attention and you know for the podcast at least I take notes to try to remember things that seem significant. And like I just it this was one Justin where I kind of found my mind wandering at times and kind of um I guess wondering like oh okay this is this is it. Like this is the story they're telling and there's not like I, I there's not some right. sort of like second act explosion or I don't mean plot twist, but like there's no, nothing shakes this movie off of its course from scene one. You know what I'm saying? The simplicity right. of the story. So what do, what do you what do you think about how it's kind of set up story wise and how that pays off? Well, it seems to be a movie that's set up practically in real time. You know, he's got an hour to wait for the train and essentially the yeah. movie takes, you know, just a little over an hour to tell its whole story. And, and that's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. It is. It's. Um, you're you're absolutely right, and I don't think there's anything wrong with with not liking the way that this movie is um, delivered. Really, one of the reasons I thought this would be an interesting movie for us to discuss um, is because it's a, in my opinion, anyway, it's a good movie. Mm -hmm. But this movie has engendered so much uh, film criticism. Yeah. I, I don't mean negative, just you know, like scholarly criticism. Uh, books have been written about this, especially because of its connection to um, the blacklist fiasco in Hollywood. Right. And so many U.S. presidents have played this movie in the White House. Bill Clinton played it. Ronald Reagan pr played it. Uh, John Wayne hated it. The Soviet Union hated it. It's just it's a movie that has engendered a lot of a uh, wide range of emotions, um, but no shortage of people. Even just a couple years ago, I think an, a guy wrote a book about High Noon mm -hmm. and um, and the uh, blacklist uh, era in Hollywood. So I thought it would just be a good movie because there is it. It's informative, I think, in so much as you and I like to nerd out a little bit about sure. um, sort of context of the movie and historically, not just, you know, in 1952 what was going on, but in, in cinema world specifically what was going on and how has this affected cinema world. I think you're absolutely right that it is 
very informative on you know even the movie Rango has some oh, yeah, callbacks to, sure. to this movie, and so it's it's um, clearly a movie that has earned its place. I think this is one of the very first movies that the National um, <laughs> Film Registry. Here I go again, listeners. Yeah. What's that called? National the Film, Film Registry? Registry. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's one of the. I think it was one of the first couple or something that they um, selected that, yeah. that was selected for preservation. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, so yes, it is a very simple movie though. And I, if you want to read it on the blacklist, you know, if, if you want to see it through that lens only, which allegedly, you know, some people argue that is what, um, the, the director, Fred Zinneman, uh, who, and I think, uh, Carl Foreman too, the screenplay writer, um, were, were both zeroed in on people that had to, you know, d- defend themselves, uh, you know, and say, uh, assert that they <laughs> were not part of the red menace, mm-hmm. heavens to Betsy. Um, and so if you see it from that point of view, and if you imagine that this is a movie where these guys are trying to say, look, this is what it's like to be blacklisted. You're the only one, you're just trying to do the right thing. You just, you're trying to do what you think is right. And everyone is turning their back on you. Yeah. These people that you thought were your friends, these people that you thought were your community, they're all gone. And so I think it's it, it, that is interesting in yeah, and of that its is own. And, yeah. Um, I I also think it's interesting just on its surface. If you didn't know that context, it's a very interesting meditation on what it means to um, have a sense. You you I think in our pre-game show, whatever you want to call it, Travis, you called it. You know, a sense of duty or a sense of honor. Yeah. You know, this guy he is the lawman for the town, and so in a nutshell. The plot of this movie is just that the marshal, who Gary Cooper plays, is Will Kane. Yeah. And he just gets married to Grace Kelly, uh, Grace Kelly's character, rather. Uh, she plays Amy, Amy mm-hmm. Fowler. And they're uh, going to get ready to go off and open a store or something in another town. <clears throat> but unfortunately, alas, before they can leave and before the new marshal shows up to take his place, um, Frank Miller, this guy that uh, Kane had sent to jail or to prison, um, there it is. Bring it, Tex. Yeah, he's coming over the hill. I have to tell you though, man, for as simple of a cinematography job as this movie does, that very first shot of Lee Van Cleef just standing yeah. up, it just warms the cockles of my heart. Of course it does. Um, of course, just, your heart. It, yes. It, yeah, in my heart, yes. I so I I I do acknowledge there's some Im- implicit bias there, but yeah, I'm glad it warms the cockles of your heart. Like it's Lee Van Cleef in an early early role, man. Like it's pretty yeah, pretty cool. To you see. know, okay, real quick, since we're on Lee Van Cleef and we've talked about Sunset Boulevard, right? Yeah, I think we mentioned there's that whole subplot about how a character in there, a, a female character, is told like, hey, you need to go get your nose done. Yeah, you're gonna get it right. Okay. That actually happened to Lee Van Cleef. No way. He he was told, you need to get a nose job done, and I forget what the role was for, um, but it was like, hey, we're going to get you like a serious, not like, you know, a, a B character or something. You're going to be, here, here's a role for you. Yeah. Just got to get your nose done. And he was like, I'm not doing that. My name is <laughs> Lee Van Cleef. Yeah. And so he was just relegated to playing these kind of bad guys, you know, because, of course, if you have a nose that looks like that, you're evil. <laughs> I don't know if you know that, everybody. Your nose doesn't look perfect like a Greek god. You're evil. Yeah. Um, if I see a guy see with a nose anywhere. like that walking down the street, I, I hide my children immediately. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like As the nose. Should, so. Yeah, it's bad. But um, thank thank goodness Sergio Leone found him when he was oh, yeah. uh, really down and out. And uh, 
made him for what he's mostly remembered for today. And then John Carpenter found him later and remade yes. him into this awesome character actor. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a fantastic actor. He's so no, good. No problem there. Yeah, he's so good. Um, but uh, anyway, back to this story here, right? So uh, Frank Miller, this outlaw, is come back to town. And Miller has made it apparent um, and known to everyone that uh, his mission is to kill Will Cain, the yes. man that sent him to prison, right? And so the the moral dilemma for Cain at first is, well, uh, everyone's telling me I should just leave with my wife, and I mean, yeah, we just did get married. I don't want to, you know, be, make her a widow right now. So yeah, I guess we'll go. But as he's going down the road, he realizes I got to turn this this horse and buggy around. And uh, he, he goes back to try to collect a posse and um, to, to face off Frank Miller and his gang and unfortunately quickly finds that people just don't want to get involved. Right. Um, and they don't want him to be involved either. They're, they're actually, there's, there's hostility towards him just doing what he believes is the right thing to do. And I think it's a really interesting commentary on, um, th- that's just human nature, right? Where, sure. where people... I, 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 as much as the the next person, I think, um, would much rather avoid conflict if we can uh, and would much rather not have to do difficult things if we don't have to do them. I don't necessarily go seeking out difficult things uh, to do just for the heck of it, Um, even if they could be beneficial, unfortunately. That's just human nature. And so Cain is left with this dilemma where he thinks, uh, if I don't do what this town has hired me to protect it, and to represent law and order. Someone is coming to town to try to kill me, the representative of law and order, and if I leave and there is no one else who is here to take my place, mm-hmm. what good does that do anybody because who stands in the breach now against them? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's a really, um, it, it, it's one of those things I don't think that can be told too often or, or reminded, um, or I can't be reminded of too often anyway, um, of just that, that, the knowledge that um, doing the right thing does sometimes um, suck, and it, it yeah. can be very costly, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's not right. No, yeah. I think, you, I think you're—I mean, the plot isn't worth, like, going beat for beat on because that's the story. Like, these three dudes, bad dudes coming back to town, they have a history with Kane. He knows it's going to be bad, you know, and so he tries to rally people. People are, you know, get, get kind of range between— they want to be apathetic all the way to like run, you know, do their own version of right. running. And, and I think the most interesting parts about this story for me, uh, you know, watching it is like, I don't know. Like I, I, I think the Western leading man is an interesting thing to study, right? Because you've got like the archetype we look at most today and sort of compare everything to the barometer for western leading man is clint eastwood you know it's it's the man with no name it's the it's the sort of that mixed with the dirty harry you know which is sort of a modern neo-western or whatever you know like i just think everything for me comes back to um what is it what is it like compared to that and so then you've got other movies where people are more charismatic and more you know maybe uh, not as soft-spoken or minimally, you know, dialogue-heavy in the way that they're used. I don't, I don't think Gary Cooper in and of himself for me is like by a long shot the most interesting part of this movie or this story. I think all the little characters around him were the things that caught my eye, and I, you know, I'm scribbling notes 
I have very few notes about him because he's not bad in the movie. Uh, and I think he's doing fine. Um, he's obviously a very capable actor. I, I remember liking Sergeant York a lot when I watched it, like when I was in like seventh grade, you know, but like I, he is, he's sort of saddled with the job, like this character saddled with the job of like, he goes to people and then the thematic things kind of come to the surface, you know? So you've got all these B characters that, that pop up and he's, he's interacting with them, but they oftentimes to me are saying the most interesting stuff. Like his character obviously represents the moral good, the moral center, the sort of like, no, I have that, like you said, the sense of duty. And I also have this wife that I just, uh, you know, married an hour ago. And like, there's all these things happening for him and there's tension there. But like the other people in the story were the ones that I was like, Oh man, that's, that's kind of fun and cool. And, and so um, if we can, because they all intersect with him, he's in like, you know, pretty much every scene of the movie other than a couple. Um, Maybe we can touch on um, the kind of grab bag of themes that the movie deals with. So you already mentioned kind of the uh, political parallels or, you know, the political themes that people have, you know, commented on before. And they're, they're, they're probably there, you know, I think you mentioned the, what the director and the writer were questioned as part of the red scare. Also Lloyd Bridges, who, um, you know, he plays, um, uh, uh, Deputy Marshal Harvey Pell. He he's a face you might recognize. Actually, he's in the airplane movies. He's in Hot Shots. So he's in like some real goofy kind of '80s comedies. But Justin, he's also Izzy Mandelbaum in that episode of Seinfeld. He's like the old <laughs> trainer man. You remember that? He's, he just kind of pops up in things. He's kind of a fun. He's almost like a Leslie Nielsen type later on in his career. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he was also questioned as a potential member of the Communist Party. But I think the the thing that struck me first that wasn't just like kind of pure plot movements, you know, Western plot movements was by the time they get to the uh, scene in the church, which is, kind of, I don't know, it's probably like halfway or maybe even two thirds of the way through the movie. That scene kind of unlocked for me, like what I think this movie might be saying about some stuff. So he is you know, he has gone around trying to rally people to the cause and, you know, deputize them and, and hand them a rifle and get them ready to, to defend their town. And the, you know, it's made clear that he has come in as a, uh, a marshal and he's really like made a difference. You know, he, people talk about how this wasn't a place to raise kids and, you know, kill, killing is down or whatever they say, you know, like this is, things are better now and he's about to retire or move on or just be a married dude for a while. And so he busts into church, which is kind of a shocking little moment because they're having this service where they're singing and uh, the the parson is up there and um, he he comes in and interrupts the service. The, the parson's like an interesting little piece of this because he has a little moral conflict of, him, of his own, right? He says like, you know, if you're going to interrupt church, you can interrupt church, but I'm not going to join you in rallying people to fire bullets all across town essentially so you've got that going on and at the same time you've got our good buddy who we uh reviewed in um mr smith goes to washington thomas mitchell um a great character actor with an awesome character actor face who uh plays the mayor and he sort of stands up alongside will kane and sort of tries to keep order and in that scene justin the things that pop up are really interesting because it's like you've got stuff about you know politicians and taxes and law enforcement mismanagement and like people saying things like like it 
it's it's your problem and other people saying like no it's not his problem it's ours so the sense of community that that's the one scene i think to me that it kind of dug into what what was most important about the story with so many yeah. different little voices so yeah i i agree with you i think that is one of the most affecting scenes or, or certainly at least one of the most important ones and the the movie, even though it doesn't really seek to be a deep dive on any of these things, I think yeah. it presents some really interesting, bear with us listeners, some interesting theological um, questions. Because mm-hmm. like you said, the parson is is not really he he remains pretty non-committal. And and it's not not that he is trying to be weak or or, you know, just this this kind of amoeba of like, well, it doesn't really matter, guys. I'm actually a postmodern parson <laughs> from the Wild West. You that know, would be pretty, not, pretty awesome. He, um, he instead is unsure of really what to recommend and do. And I think it's honestly one of the saddest scenes in the movie because here is, you know, a, a time and a place in this kind of community in this era of American history where a lot of folks would take the, at least people that were going to church would take their moral authority up with the, um, you know, the pastor, the preacher, the parson, the priest, and to have that person in that kind of moral authority seat say, I'm not really sure what to do. Yeah. It is such, it just puts that weight deeper into Will Kane's character because yeah. he goes I am I am so alone that the person that is supposedly the man of God doesn't even know what to tell me to do. That that disillusionment is pretty meaty, you know what I mean? And like Absolutely. Uh, the the sort of like public panic like part of that scene I think works really well. That's something Justin that I've been kind of like uh, infatuated by lately is like movies that get the I want to say mob mentality, although that's sort of like the extreme version of it. But like the, the the public, you know, I don't know if it's just because of the last six or eight years in our country of just like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like going through different little ebbs and flows of like total outrage back to like, ah, everything's fine and total outrage right. and everything, you know. And so I think those things resonate for me, at least right now. Maybe in five years, I'll be like, I don't know what I was on about. But like movies that capture that in a really uh, true way are like those are the moments that stick out to me. You know what I mean? When a, when a group of people is standing around and you have kind of every type, every type of person mm. who's like, you know, I'm going to take this opportunity to complain about the fact that my tax dollars didn't go and do what I thought right. they were going to. Uh, right. I think the, this is the police's fault from the beginning. Or, you know, or, yep. like what, yep. whatever the thing is, whatever side of the issue it's coming from, just that idea of like you need a Thomas Mitchell to be standing in the middle of the room just telling you like, like guys like we have got to see the forest from the trees here you know like mm-hmm. he's not even telling them what to do he's just like uh moderating the the nuts like dialogue that's taking place and to me that was like um because thomas mitchell is so sympathetic you know we talked about him in mr smith and like he's just such yeah. like, his face he, you have to like him you know he's like got one of right. those likable set of eyes and like and so when he's the one standing up there being like everybody you know the quiet down you know for a minute um i i found that sequence capturing that particular dynamic to be really like timeless you know what i mean like it it's pretty much like that today you know you could have a a modern problem pop up and the same kind of voices kind of screaming into an echo chamber until somebody just goes like 
one at a time people you know what i mean right um right so that's kind of cool that this movie from 1952 that's an hour and 25 minutes long and is a western you know can can kind of transcend the genre and transcend the you know almost popcorny nature uh commercial right. nature of itself i think just about any movie can transcend its genre if yeah it really can tests um with issues of the human heart and I think that's that's why this movie is so. Um, if it has any power, it's the power of a man. Uh, I, you know, you talked about. <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Gary Cooper's performance not being, you know, super. Uh, maybe, maybe you didn't use this word, but maybe dynamic would yeah. be appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Or, that's that's what I was saying. Yeah. But he does, for for me anyway, he does do a really wonderful job when he's given opportunity to. Um, just show a man that is really, which is a little unique for a leading man in a Western movie, especially from this era, to be a, a leading man that is afraid. And I think yeah. we take that, at least I would, I would take that for granted more today yes. because we, yeah, are, sure. we are way more in tune with like everyone has PTSD from everything and, you know, it was those baked beans that made me hit you. Well, you um, go from like this to the John Wayne archetype of like, I got exactly. everything under control, don't cross yeah. me. And then yeah, this, exactly. the silent kind of, you know, I'll shoot you in an instant Clint Eastwood archetype to like the... Right action stars of the 80s that are like wise cracking and you know what i mean like yeah. this is you're right you're right in that sense that this is something different because he is like he's very vulnerable in his yes. quietness in this which is kind of interesting and i would imagine that's that's part of the reason why um someone like john wayne didn't like this movie um in in fact even 20 years later um he was uh talking um there's an interview you can find it online i'm sure uh, yeah um what was that guy's name? Uh, Parkinson, I think, British okay. guy, did, did a talk show. And uh, John Wayne was, this is in the 70s. This is actually 20, 20 plus years after this movie came mm -hmm. out. And, and the host asks him, John, what in the world? I read this thing where you, you don't, you really hated High Noon and said that it was like the most un-American movie you've ever seen. <laughs> and I, for the life of me, cannot figure out how this is un-American. Would you be able to talk about that? John Wayne, a historically subtle man in uh, yes. know, his comments. <laughs> very, very subtle. Um, so, and he, he proffered his position essentially as saying, look, I just don't buy that people would be pioneers or settlers in that era and have gone through so much and worked so hard and you know who knows what kind of sacrifices they made to get where they are and then all of a sudden when their town marshal needs help nobody turns up to help right and he didn't buy in the church scene you know in his words the men are sitting on one side and the women are sitting on the other side and the men are saying we shouldn't do anything and the women are saying cowards mm -hmm. and he said to me that just doesn't sound like the west does that sound like the west to you interesting and so it it it's a little bit I, I imagine, and actually, actually, John Wayne and um, Howard Hawks made the movie Rio Bravo. I don't right. know if you've seen that one. Right, right, Ricky right. Nelson. I'm aware yeah, of it, anyway. but I haven't seen it. Okay, so they, they made that movie in rebuttal to High Noon. Oh, man. Um, That'd be in, an interesting opinion, double billing now. Yeah, Rio Bravo is, is, it's a fine Western. I don't think it, you know, it's been actually a couple of years since I've seen it, but um, to me, it, it has not. Uh, it certainly has not lived up to the historical kind of uh, credibility or, or criticism that that High Noon um, yeah. earned in its day and still does today. Um, but I, I think it says something that a movie that is it is so simple 
Um, it is, you know, it's it's shot very cleanly. There's not yeah. a lot of eye towards making you feel something by beautiful camera movement or by excessive um, or artistic staging of things. It's very workmanlike. It is, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so it 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 is interesting that this movie wins for you know you, you got to wonder what else was up for uh, best black and white cinematography yeah. that year. Yeah, well, you think like the '50s, they're really starting to both in color and black and white, like experiment. You know, like there's yeah. still some noirs hanging around in the early '50s that like look amazing because they're like right. we've done noir a thousand times. Where can we put the camera this time? So I mean, yeah, I'm not saying that like the weirdest shot movie should win, but I I do think you're right. I think like from the difference between me and you watching this movie, Justin, is like you're gonna have a. Uh, you're going to give more grace. You're going to like, I don't mean you're not going to be objective, but I mean like this is more in your wheelhouse more. And you're like, I could watch that almost any time. Um, then, then it might be mine. And so that like workman like quality for me in a horror movie, which is kind of my wheel, you know what I mean? I will give a lot of leeway. I'll be like, okay, Mm -hmm. yeah, but the idea is good or the story's good or the villain's good or something like that. And to me in this, because at least this era of westerns isn't necessarily my my first poured cup of tea. I that was verging on boring, you know, at times for me. Like the sure the like kind of by the numbers um, look of it. But but let's be let's be fair. There's a few really killer shots in this movie, and I think like the ones I can think of off the top of my head are like you know there's some recurring like visual motifs with a with the clock and it just sort of reminds mm-hmm. you like you know the clock is ticking and it's an hour before they arrive um there's like you know what we probably think of now as sort of stereotypical of like this long shot down the railroad tracks just reminding you that train is coming that kind of recurs right. a few times and then justin i think the the best shot in the movie is probably that because that crane shot where he's you know walking mm. walking through town alone and it kind of rises up and just re-emphasizes like yep he's he's on his own because everybody else just sort of found their way to uh apathy or hiding or or something like that and i think that's been that's i mean i i can't think of half a dozen examples off the top of my head but i bet you there's literally dozens of examples of like that shot has been aped you know absolutely to say a similar thing you know elsewhere because it works yeah you know yeah it looks great yeah um it does what a lot of dialogue cannot Sure. Um, or a lot of exposition. Or like when there's no dialogue justified, right? Like he yeah. wouldn't be like walking through that street like, well, I guess it's just me. <laughs> like You, you got to <laughs> say it with the camera because like that would be really stupid. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I And, you know, I, I think it does, even though we don't need to go plot by plot just to, you know, take it maybe towards the end or the third act of this movie. I think it does bear mentioning that when the inevitable confrontation happens, yeah, it's really not a. At least I hope it wasn't for you. Um, I I don't believe that this movie sets it up that it's a foregone conclusion. Like, oh yeah, this guy Gary Cooper's such a badass. He's just gonna wipe him out. It's gonna be no problem. I think there is some real, even though it's it's a very quick. It's quick. Um, this yeah. is not an excessively staged gunfight, you no. know, and it's 1952, so it's not gory by any stretch of the imagination, but it's, it's, I, I don't think it's necessarily, um, 
evident by the way that the story is paced and by what has happened before. I, I think there's some real, because of the way Gary Cooper, Gary Cooper plays the character again, very vulnerably, and because everyone literally turns their back on this poor guy, there, to, to me, it, it is surprising almost that he doesn't end up dying. You know, you're, you're, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I feel like it's almost setting itself up for more of a draw at the end. You could you know, see where, that. You could see that. Like, this movie is not, like, funny. Like, there's right. one moment in it that I was like, "Oh, that's kind of fun." When he goes into church and uh, you know, one of the one of the dudes in there is like, "I think we better get the children out of here for this conversation." The kids run out of church and they're like, "Yeah!" You know, they're like super excited to leave church. I think that's really funny. Um, but yeah. other than that, like, there's not a lot of levity here. So like, you could you could see this just being like, he stood up to the bad guys and he got mowed down, you know, or, or whatever. Um, right. And right. so I, I do agree. I think the that shot or at least the thread that kind of runs through it of this guy's, you know, he's the minority in, in, in this story, in the world of the guy who will stand up to, you know, whatever. And I say stand up and I, I want to go back to one of your previous points that kind of caught my ear, which is the leading manness of this, the vulnerability is like, it really, I don't even know if it means to do this, but we have to give it the credit in, in, in retrospect, like, it it challenges the like the idea of masculinity right like that might have been held as uh i'm not saying this like he's not effeminate he doesn't like he's not you know breaking like gender norms or something crazy like that but like the idea that like the most um valiant or you know stalwart character in the story could be throughout the whole thing and up until the very end until he does finally win be like a vulnerable dude, a scared dude, a like uh, conflicted dude. Even hmm. it just it really rubs up against what we're gonna see in the next twenty years of of westerns, right? Like especially with the John Wayne, you know, ness of everything, and and Clint Eastwood, and Clint Eastwood. for for di- very different reasons. Sure, I'd say. Yeah. No, I I agree with you, man, and and I think you know the the movie does the credit, um, or to its credit, I think the movie shows in reality how probably just about every single man who, if he had the cojones, like Gary Cooper's character to stand there, would still be shaken from time to time. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a, you're, you could die. I mean, For that's sure. the stakes. You could yeah. lose it all. And, and I think they make it clear enough that, like, he could die, and that is, you know, a primal fear that we all feel and, you know, like, deal with and whatever. But, like, also, I don't know. We, we should probably, before we get too too far in here and forget, like, there's two female characters in the story that have, you know, lines and kind of matter. And they're, they're both interesting for different reasons. Um, it, I'll give you my take. And then I, I don't know if yours will, will line up with this or, or you have something different to add to it. But like you've got Grace Kelly as the brand new uh, Mrs. Kane, which is part of the opening sequence of the movie. Same getting married and trying to leave town. And then you've got um, Helen Ramirez as Katie Harado. Um, and both of these are interesting for different reasons because she's a Quaker, right? And so she's right. she's in a position of being like a bit of a conscientious objector to... She's a militant pacifist. Yeah, exactly. And um, uh, I, don't, I don't think... I think you said something earlier. Like this movie puts a lot of stuff on the table. It's not long enough or I don't think necessarily strives to like pick apart each of those themes in great detail, but it's like... You know, if we're going to tell a story about a man standing off against a bunch of bad guys, we might as well, like, 
weave in the at least the beginnings of some ideas of like, well, what if somebody didn't think shooting them all was the right thing to do? And so you've got right. Grace Kelly, and you've got the the pre uh, the uh, the parson rather, um, and and then you've got um, uh, Katie Harado, and this story is like she's really interesting because like she's uh you know she's mexican uh and uh clearly in a town full of white folks and like she owns a business and she has right tons of agency and is like i'll tell you what i think here's what i think if you if it were me i'd grab a gun and stand next to him and then and at the same time she's out of there uh you know and so i don't know like there, there's enough stuff going on with the female characters in this story where it's like, I don't think it's, I don't, I've, I think I read some, you know, um, retrospective review on this that called these characters proto-feminist or whatever. And like, I could see somebody who's going to write an essay being like, well, clearly they are like, I get that. I get that. But I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't think that was necessarily the intent, but in retrospect, you're like, yeah, you watch most Westerns from the fifties or sixties and there's nobody like these characters you know it's it's a lot of like Mm -hmm. swooning uh subservient you know what maybe dumb you know female characters and they they don't do like much of anything so i do think the movie needs some credit there even if it's not like its main mission right to like explore pacifism or explore what a minority who owned a business like in this era and time would would have you know done in this scenario but but man it's like it's weird that it's in there. You know what I mean? I think so. And I, I, well, I don't know that I would agree that it's weird. I find it very cool. I yeah, guess. Yeah. For, yeah. If it's I un- can use a really kind of stupid word. Unusual for it. and refreshing. I Be- mean, not weird in a bad way. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think this movie for as, as workmanlike as its presentation, maybe it's, it's actual display of its characters and its revelation of the plot is in in my opinion anything but because it treats everyone much more realistically than the vast majority of american westerns of this decade and the decade before um and i think there's other exceptions to that too but to me it that is one of the powers of this movie that's why it succeeds because if everyone this movie I, i i feel pretty confident this movie would not be remembered for much at all outside of that crane shot maybe if Grace Kelly was just like, oh, don't do it, and then she's fainting right. all the time, you know, and Katie Harado, you know, character works in a brothel or something sure. instead. Of, you know, there's just, that's not there, and I think every one of those characters you've mentioned, um, even the, you know, the drunk... Um, uh, um, the uh, eye patch guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone in this movie is treated realistically, even if it's for a laugh, you know, or it, it, it all has its place and it all feels like, yeah, I, I think that might be how that would go in, in real life. Oh, of course, I'm, I'm saying that with the big caveat of this is presented as a movie from 1952. Sure. So it's not like hyper photorealistic or something. Right, right, right. But it's it the, the core and the essence of these people as they're portrayed to me uh, speaks volumes about the integrity of the the team behind this movie. And yeah. I think that is one of the, the main reasons this movie endures, at least, well, I'm not trying to speak for you, Travis, but at least for some of us, uh, yeah, why, yeah. It, why it endures today still. It, it, okay, so for me, like, uh, if we had to compare it to other stuff we've reviewed, like if you've listened to other episodes of this show and we've we've, you know, touched on, like, certain movies being 
Uh, I'm thinking of, okay, like Frankenstein, right? Like we did Frankenstein mm-hmm. a couple seasons ago and it was like, my takeaway from that was like, this is a more important movie than it is a good movie. And like, yeah, I would say to a much lesser degree, because this isn't like, there are objectively dumb, bad things in Frankenstein. But clearly, like you watch that movie and the spectacle alone, it's like, that's worth your time to see those things yeah. on screen. This is a little bit in the same category, but not nearly as like, well, the movie's a little wishy-washy on the quality or something it's it's just um the stuff it's saying is is a lot it lands it sticks the landing you know what i mean a lot more than something like frankenstein which sort of tries and then just doesn't it sort of like pulls its punches um it, it, one of the other things justin before we before we wrap up here um that i'd love to touch on and get your take on is you know first time watch i'm watching this and i'm noticing you know that's grace kelly she's in you know rear window and she's in uh dial in from i know her from hitchcock right and then i i see the guy who plays the retired marshal is he the guy who gave the job to kane i I, it's kind of the implication i got or work worked alongside him or something um He's Martin Howe is this character's name, and he is Lon Chaney. And I'm like, man, that guy's face is something else. He's just got such character lines, and like he just looks interesting. Lon Chaney is like from the Phantom of the Opera, the original Phantom of the Opera, which like was totally groundbreaking for the makeup and his silent performance mm-hmm. and like all that. Um, that scene was the one that I loved the most out of the whole movie mm-hmm. because it's kind of part of the the little parade through town he does of trying to get people to join him and like, you know, defend the town, help me out. I'll give you a, a deputy badge, you know, whatever. So this guy's like an old kind of grizzled beaten down lawman, or at least an experienced lawman. And so I was kind of hearkening back to like, and you know, um, stray dog and things like that, where you have the sort mm-hmm. of generational passing of the torch. This guy's got wisdom and experience. This guy's up and coming. Um, even though it's not exactly the same. And just that that line of like, you know, what is this all for? He's like, for what? For a tin star? You know, it's all for nothing. Well, it's all for nothing. I found the tragedy of that moment for both of them to be really interesting because yeah. just like where Grace Kelly's character is, you know, a pacifist and she's like, I can't, I can't tell you I want you to go do this because like I've I've seen gunfire. I've seen what it does. And like, I can't, I cannot condone it. Um, I like that that's in there. I also like that he is, kind of speaking to the same thing. It's like, she's not speaking to the futility of his choice uh, like he is. And he's just basically saying like, you can go do this thing if you want to, but I just don't see how in the end it's going to make a difference. You know, um, I love that. I love that because I'm watching this for the first time thinking like, okay, would it be better if he left town? You know what I mean? Like people are literally telling him that they're literally saying like, we don't have any problem with Frank Miller. Right. Like, he comes into town. He's got a problem with you. That's when the gunshots are going to start. And if you stay, you might be making it worse. And so I at least think um, from an entertainment kind of tension per- perspective, I like that that question kind of lingered for me throughout the whole thing. And I don't, I don't come away from this thinking like, well, he is the absolute ultimate good. I think it's like this is a convicted character and he's con- he's staunch in his convictions and i i truly believe that he believes he's doing the right thing but i do think there's at least a little gap a little room there with the way the other characters around him are written where you can you can ask that question like did did he do the right thing or did he perhaps make it worse somehow you know and that's that's how life is right life is not so simple that like 
Um, this is always the right choice and this is always the wrong choice. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, uh, not preaching moral relativism or anything like that. I'm just saying that it is kind of a gray area sometimes. Uh, and at least in a Western where we're sort of used to the, like, no, I got to do this. I got to go fire six bullets in his forehead. Otherwise the world won't be the same. It's like, okay. You know, there's people questioning that at least. Yeah. Well, and I think it's so fantastic that this movie ends with, um, we're talking about giving women agency. Here's the one woman that is a pacifist and says, you know what, I have to stick to that pacifist principle even more than my marriage vow, yeah. sort of, so I'm going to leave you. And she ends up firing the, the fatal bullet for one of Frank's um, yep. henchmen and really allowing Will to, to prevail. Right. And I think it's it's great because that doesn't happen as some sort of like, oh, she saw the light, you know. Thank no. goodness that woman came around. I always knew she was a good egg. I prefer <laughs> duck eggs myself. <laughs> no, it's it's more of, you know, like when she fires that round, then she, you know, drops her hands and drops her head. And you can tell it's because she just feels like the weight of her own conviction. You're talking about Will being convicted. She was also deeply convicted in her Quaker beliefs yeah. that she was doing the right thing and being a pacifist. And now she feels like, uh, well, what was I supposed to do? I couldn't let him die, but I've just gone against my whole religious, um, uh, what am I trying to say here? My my ideology, you right. know, my whole, my whole worldview is crumbling. Yep. And I think that is, a, it's again, a tremendous service to the characters and just treating them as real people as they might... Um, as they might react in the real world. Um, I'm going to take a quick quick swig of, uh, of agua. Right Speaking now. of, while you're taking that swig, and hold that thought, I want to hear the rest, but swigs. Can we talk about swigs for a moment? I, As much as I think this movie is, you know, a, I'm not going to call it a bad movie. I don't think it's bad. But I, I think one of, <laughs> one of the like most... Um, perhaps real but also silly looking and funny to observe tropes and westerns pops up in this a couple times which is like oh something's wrong with lester get him a shot of whiskey and then they just like <laughs> dump alcohol <laughs> yeah, down his no, throat that's... up until the point where i'm like uh you know uh kane and and uh uh, uh, Pell are beating the crap out of each other in the horse stall for a good couple minutes right. there. That's probably the most violent part of the movie. And yeah, he, he gets the last, the last whack in there. Kane knocks, knocks him out and he just reaches over to the bucket. That's conveniently right next to him and then pours this bucket on him. And I'm like, I wonder if that was whiskey and not water, you know, cause Get him a bucket of whiskey. He's hurting. Pour a bucket of whiskey on him. <laughs> so I'm like, I ain't be feeling better if you just put some whiskey in his eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the remedy in westerns for a lot of things, you know. Well, gangrene looks like it's gonna set in, boys. Fetch me the whiskey. It is truly the pre uh, my big fat Greek wedding Windex joke, where they're like, put a little Windex on it. It's like, oh, my, I got a. I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared, George. They're coming over the hill. Just take. A well, shot. hey, you know what you need is a little bit of whiskey. <laughs> fix you right up yeah take a shot of my uh, my hip flask here it's roughly the size of a, a keg <laughs> i like that that cowboy was starting to morph into a 50s ad salesman yeah. voice 
That was uh, that'd be quite the pairing. Have you got an ailment that needs curing? Here's your whiskey. Yes. Oh, thanks, partner. It's just interesting that you know your the the theological convictions, which again, this movie just touches on as far as the parson and as far as Amy are concerned. You know, in in 1883, there's this idea that oh, we we have killed people, therefore we cannot enter heaven. It's just a really interesting, I I think, because it's very similar to. That's how I interpret Amy when when her shoulders sag, and when her head goes down, mm-hmm. it's like I, I I have I have offended God, you know. Yeah. And so I I think it really does matter, and and hopefully has encouraged um, some folks over the years to really examine um, um, your your belief if you believe in God to really you know, go, go, go deep on those kind of issues. Pacifism, you know, on on its front, it sounds great, right? It's like, oh, let's just not do that. Let's not fight. Right. And oh my gosh, if we could all agree on that, then, um, I guess I'm guessing we'd pretty much live in a perfect world. Yeah. But unfortunately the Frank Millers out there are not pacifists Mm -hmm. and they would be all too happy if everyone else just went, whoa, 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 don't want any trouble. Let's just, because uh, that's how evil folks um, just lo- take delight in, in oppressing and, and hurting innocent people, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think what what's really what's really cool about her character and the stuff you were kind of just touching on is it it's a good enough movie that it leaves the room. You know what I mean? Like you said, like we yeah, you kind of get the setup throughout the story. Like he could not make it out of this, and at the same time, when she does make the choice to go against her moral fabric and fire that bullet when they walk away at the end it's like you're glad to see that they still have each other but like she might she might not be the same you know what i mean like she might not yeah. be okay and uh right. the fact that you don't get some weird denouement of like you know and then they were just trucking down the trail smiles on their face that would make it it was all peachy after she killed that one fella. yeah yeah i feel like the open end, the short run time of the open-endedness of that really really helps um Okay, Justin. We have um, we've we've hopped on the saddle. We've we've, ri- yep. we've ridden through town. We've dodged all sure the bullets. We've mm-hmm. drunk every drop of whiskey in the tri-state area. Let's give our final thoughts in our wrap-up section. Uh, is it worth your time? I will start and give you the last word on this one because I, I think you might be nicer than me. Um, but Go hey, ahead, partner. Uh, <laughs> so I think this is a this is a okay. I think this movie's saying a lot of good stuff. I think we touched on all of the the things that I picked up on. There's there may be more in there for people like Justin who have seen it multiple times, but like it's not a complete by the numbers um, prototypical kind of vacuous empty western that just exists to move the plot along there's there's definitely more going on there and i think for that reason alone i gotta say it's worth your time um the other question we answer here is how often would we rewatch this and for me uh i like westerns but i i I think i'm probably a little more here it comes (laughs) 
coming over the hill, <laughs> galloping faster and faster. Uh, I think it's just a little more choosy with, with this genre. Where I'm like, I'm not going to be like, that's a western. I'll give it a shot. Uh, so I probably wouldn't rewatch this a ton, if at all. I feel like I didn't waste my time watching it once, and I think I get the some of the historical significance and, and a lot of the thematic significance, but like I, I, I did find it a little, a little stodgy um, at times. And maybe that's the aesthetic. Maybe that's the fact that the story's not interested in like twisty, turny, you know, happenings and events. Um, it's really a lot more concerned with um, getting to that final sequence uh, and the, the road that Gary Cooper's character has to walk down to get there. So it's it's good. Uh, the last thing I want to say is is one critical thing that I think we missed in in the recording, which is just I think this movie is like many fifties movies, and I'll give it a little leeway because the decade is just sort of notorious for this wildly overscored. You know, we, I think we talked about it in Sunset mm-hmm. Boulevard, where it's like that movie has a big score, but it really undergirds everything. It really supports. Um, right. This is sort of the the one of the bad examples of it i think is like if this movie was just quieter a a lot more and more contemplative like the script is and like the performances are and like the runtime is you know i think maybe i would have enjoyed it more but i did find you know moments of uh people saying things like uh it's terrible it's shocking you know music just kind of coming in going nuts and you know like my brother was 19 i watched him die like um i i don't i don't think that helps a movie like this that's definitely not striving to just be a popcorn flick feel less like a popcorn flick it makes it feel more like a popcorn flick so that's all worth your time i wouldn't rewatch it a ton justin how about you yeah well since i, I don't want to forget um the the musical critique you just gave and and i would i would definitely back you up unfortunately with the at least with the the orchestration, um, yeah, you know that that is it's it's way overblown, unfortunately, and and I do agree that it'd be a, it would be a much stronger movie and probably quite a bit more artsy looking um, if it just chose yeah. carefully um, and and maybe with more consideration to how to score yeah um, those those um, portions that right now are just you know like Hans Zimmer uh, this is not um, <laughs> but I guess it's just it, it is I cannot divorce you know the intense Western upbringing um, that I had um, with you know probably some maybe some slack that I give this movie yeah um, you know like because while while the orchestration does bother me, Tex Ritter coming over the airwaves and you know serenading me uh, like five thousand times like he does in this movie. Yeah, there he is. See, it just I'm I'm smiling right now. It's just it doesn't bother me, you know. But I can totally appreciate that for the person that is not super duper into old country music. Yeah, um, <laughs> that <laughs> could be quickly very grating. Um, and, and so I do, I understand that. And, and please know that if you watch this movie, you better buckle up and be ready for a lot of Tex Ritter. Yeah. He's going to lullaby. Uh, what will I do? Like, yeah, yeah, it happens a lot. You got it, man. That's good. Um, but why I like this movie oh, is because. Oh, here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming over. The coming over now. Light horse has got legs, boys. Oh, this Give me bigger. the whiskey. 
bigger and faster than my horse. <laughs> oh, geez. That's a 12-gauge horse, son. <laughs> um, it, the, I think, you know, w- we like the same things, Travis. Yeah. I think that maybe for me it's there is less of a question about did he do the right thing. I think for me it, something about his, his decision and his conviction um, resonates with me. Not that, I mean, he makes it very clear. He even tells Amy, they have that dialogue where she's like, why won't you just leave? And uh, I'm paraphrasing. She, Grace Kelly does not say that verbatim. But, and he That's says, the same Look, pitch as you too. She's like, why won't you yeah. just leave? <laughs> it's Nobody really knows <laughs> why mean. she became Princess of Monaco and yeah. retired from acting, but it may have been <laughs> that her voice dropped five octaves. Oh, man. Um, and, and Will Kane says, you're crazy if you think I want to do this, right? And so I think there's this very clear line that is drawn where there is zero um, uh, desire on Will Cain's part to to be some kind of heroic f- figure or to, to be Billy Badass or anything like yeah. that. He's just doing it because he believes it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And I have a feeling that has something to do with why so many presidents, at least during the 80s and 90s, uh, showed this in the White House. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if they there may be a little ego there. Uh, it, worst case scenario, right? There's ego there, like I'm just like Will Kane, or maybe best case scenario, they they see them, they find a character they identify with in in that there may be a time when they have to take a stand on an issue, or they want to identify or with something. or something. Yeah, 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 exactly. And 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 I mean, those are presidents from all across the political spectrum, so it's not like you know, just in, in case you think it's just like a bunch of gun-toting Republicans. Well, Reagan did know. wear a cowboy hat and was yeah. in movies. Well, Reagan was a was also a movie actor. But, uh, but Bill uh, Clinton yeah. played the saxophone. So, uh... <laughs> saxophone is underutilized in Western movies. <laughs> not in this movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a very good saxophone impression. Oh, boy. impression. But anyway, um, so yeah, I, I think if you... If you are going to enjoy this movie, it's probably going to be based largely on whether or not you think Will Kane is doing um, the right thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, I don't know. That'd be a really interesting study to run, Travis. We should just kidnap about forty or fifty folks and get them uh, plenty of buckets of whiskey, and then sit them down with uh, with High Noon and and find out, you know, did they hate this movie? Did they find it boring? Whatever. But then also try to narrow down, you know, what did they actually think of the main character's moral dilemma? Did he did he do the right thing? Was he doing the wrong thing? Was it sort of gray? Um, anyway, that is that is really not helping us wrap up this episode. But I would just say, yeah, this is a movie. Um, it, it, also, if you're a Western fan, you're gonna enjoy it. Um, and this is definitely a movie that I'll be I'll be and watching. Looks like my horse is coming back in town right now, partner. This might be where we part ways. It's been good drinking from that bucket of whiskey with you, even when it got a little moldy on the bottom. All right, partner. Uh, I I enjoy uh, coming to the table with a somewhat tepid reaction and then walking away feeling like, oh man, I got more out of the movie because we... We had a nice chat, Justin. Let's drink to that, partner. Oh, let's drink a whole bucket of whiskey. That's that's what my mama tells me will make me a big, strong boy. Um, I don't Smart know mama. Happening. Uh, next week, 
for something completely different. Singing in the Rain, a movie I definitely have seen, and it'll be interesting to rewatch. It should be good. Looking forward to it. Join us. Let the movie speak. Hey, since you're still here and still listening, thank you, by the way, we'd like to ask an additional favor of you. We have social media. It's a thing on the internet. And all you need to do is find us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and like and subscribe. I know this is annoying, but we have to ask you because we want more people to hear the show. In addition to that, if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, we would greatly appreciate it. See you next week. Bye.